for this day. We thank for this opportunity to come before you and to worship you. We thank you for the time of just singing and worship. And also as we look and open the word to see you in your word and to see what you would have us to see from your word. Help us to learn how to live in your son's name. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. For I would that you would know what great conflict I have for you and for them of Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my, my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches and the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we're going to look at this, and Paul starts out with this great desire that he has as a shepherd. You know, and this is something he's trying to, he goes, I, would, I desire that you understand my heart for you. Paul loved the people in the churches that he started. You know, sometimes we wonder, we look how hard he can be with them, but it's because of his love that he's hard on them at times. He's given them information that they need, and he goes, I had this great desire and love for you. And, you know, this is something that we look at, you know, if we truly love our children, you know, the world wants to tell us that love says you can do whatever you want, there's no rules, there's no bounds. They don't live that way in their own personal lives, they don't live that way in their own families, but they expect the church to say, well, you can do whatever you want. God's okay with it. You know, but if we all know that if you really love your children, you're not going to go let them play on 90, Route 93 out here during, uh, during uh, Friday night traffic going to Vegas. You know, yeah, kid, you can just do whatever you want. Go play on the highway for a while. Yeah. Don't let them put rocks. But, you know, love does not let people get away with whatever they want to do. Love cares enough for people that says, no, this is going to hurt you. And Paul is going to, he goes, I love you so much. I have a conflict, a great conflict, a great struggle, he says. I want you to understand my struggle. In another place, he told him just before he's dying, he goes, I'm torn between the two to stay here and minister to you, which is better for you, or to go home, <laughs> which is better for me. And, you know, we, all of us should have that desire. You know, all of us should have this great desire to go to heaven. Now, that doesn't mean we go out and go kill ourselves so we go to heaven, but we should have this desire to be in heaven. But you know, while God has a plan for us on this world, we should be here to complete that plan. And that's to minister to people, to build people up, to witness, to teach if you're a teacher. And it says, you know, and we kind of look at this. He's talking to you, though, in Colossae, in Laodicea, which is a, if you know anything about Revelation, you know that that's one of the churches that are written to. And he goes, and everybody else who hasn't seen me. <laughs> you know, he had a minute desire to minister to people. Now, he was thinking more of the immediate area of Laodicea and, and Colossia. He wasn't thinking so much about us, but we still have his letter. So in one sense, he was thinking about us without knowing that he was thinking about us. He goes, you know, I want you, I'm going to also talk to all those who haven't seen me in, in body. And, of course, he was thinking of all the suburbs around these towns that hadn't seen him. And he goes, that their hearts might be comforted. Are you comforted by knowing God? To me, knowing God is the greatest comfort in my life. Why? Well, number one, I know that he's in charge. 
know, knowing God is in charge is a pretty comforting opinion. Even when we go through life and we wonder, is God in charge? You know, have you ever had those times when everything seems to be going wrong in your life and you're kind of thinking, God, do you really know what's going on? Have you, have you lost control? Be comforted, God has not lost control. How do we know this? Well, if we look at uh, Job 1 and 2, we see that Satan had to ask permission to touch Job. Now, God gave him quite a latitude to touch Job. Most of us have not gone through what Job went through. Job, in one day, lost every one of his possessions. He went from the richest man in the area to having nothing. He went from having a large family to having no family other than his wife. And then all of a sudden, he had these wonderful friends come up to comfort him. <laughs> now, and if you have comforters like Job have, you've got trouble because they told him how bad he must be and how much he deserved all the trouble he was going through. They were wonderful comforters. But you know, we have an advantage that Job did not have because we read chapter 1 and chapter 2 and know that Satan asked for permission to do what he did. When you're going through hard times, understand, before all these hard times happened, Satan had to go to the Father and ask him for permission to put you through the ringer. Now, that probably doesn't make it a whole lot easier in one sense. But by the same token, God has not lost control. And then we go to one of my favorite verses, which I've told you, I've got two really favorite verses, and this one is Romans 8:28. For all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Whenever you go through hard times, God says, good will come from it. Now that does not mean that what you're going through is good. All right, if you're going through a really hard time, it is not a good thing that you're going through. The result, though, should, will produce good fruit. And this is where we look at it. When something's going wrong, you go, you know, my favorite statement is, God, I don't have a clue what you're doing, but I know that you promised it's for good. Help me to see what is going to come. And even if I don't, he's going to reward me in heaven for it. So we look at this and he says, be comforted, be exhorted. You know, when we find people that are going through a hard time, we do not want to be Job's friends, <laughs> all right? We want to encourage people. We're going to let them know God is still out there. God is on your side. God is still cares for you. He still loves you. We want to exhort people, build them up, help them get through what they're going through. Will, will they feel good about it? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I learned a very hard way when I was young. When somebody's going through a hard time, that is not the time to tell them that Romans 8.28 is a, a verse of, of truth. If they do not believe that all things work together for good before they're in the middle of the trial, they are not going to believe it when they're in the middle of the trial. <laughs> for me, if you remind me Romans 8.28 when I'm in the middle of the trial, I'm going to say, yes, you're right. I don't usually let myself forget about it, but I've forgotten about it a couple times and needed it to be reminded. But I learned the hard way when somebody really smacked me upside the head, basically, with their words, you know, don't tell me all things are going to work together for good because I'm miserable. They didn't believe it before, and they weren't going to believe it in the middle. Be very careful when you use these comforting verses with people. <laughs> you know, make sure they believe the verse before they go into the trial. <laughs> you know, to tell somebody that God 
is blessed by the death of his saints when you've lost a loved one, unless you truly believe it is not a comfort. Why is God blessed? His child came home. <laughs> his child came home. Now, we're kind of depressed and, and, and lost without that person in our life. But God says, my child's home. He's, he's pretty happy about you coming home. But be very careful. If somebody's hurting, cry with them, comfort them. Because they need to understand God's word is true. Whether, whether you believe it or not, God's word is true. Okay? If you don't believe God's word, it doesn't make it untrue. Just as if, if you went up to the top of a cliff and stepped off the mountains, off the cliff saying, I don't believe in gravity, your, your statement of, I don't believe in gravity, is not going to make gravity not drag you down to the bottom of the cliff and hurt you when you get to the bottom of it. God's word does not matter whether we believe it or don't believe it. It is true. When God says it, it is true. Our job is to align our thinking with God's truth. And that takes time. Now, sharing earlier, you know, I've only been studying God's word for 46 years, and there's still all kinds of stuff I don't know in the Bible. Kind of an amazing thing. You know, I know more than most people, and I still don't know most of what's in there. We need to spend time getting to know God's word, aligning our thoughts with his thoughts. And when he says something is true, you know, even after 46 years, there's still times when I read it and go, God, how can this be true? And he goes, okay, God, I'm going to have to just believe it. And you know what? Usually then turns around and shows me how it's true. <laughs> you know, and we've talked about this. All the tests we go through in our life is to say, do I truly believe what God has taught me? Do I truly believe that all things work together for good? If I do, then God's going to put some hard things in my life to see, do you truly believe? And then there's going to be these times when the trial can be pretty tough. When he says we're to exhort one another, he's going to put people in our path that need ex exhortation and encouragement. Some of them will be very hard to exhort because of where they're at. But we need to be able to be comforted. He says that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. And this word knit together is quite an interesting word. It means to coalesce. And if you don't know what coalesce means, it means to literally draw together into one place and, and make something out of it. Uh, we do that, they do that now with oil slicks. They put chemicals in it that coalesces the oil in one place, makes it easier to bring, you know, to, to skim off the surface. God wants his body of Christ to become one to encourage one another, to accomplish more together than we can individually, to encourage one another. When we see one another out outside of these walls that we're in, that we're still the church. And understand that this building is not the church. We come together in this building to be the church. When we leave this building, we are still the church. Going out all over chloride and, and Silver Sage and Kingman and all over Mojave County, when we leave this building, we're still the church. We don't become something else when we walk out of this church, hopefully. If we're his child, we are this church. Where two or three are gathered, there is he in the midst of us. Yeah. And this is something really interesting. If you, if you can't find three of you gathered up at uh, the post office to pick up your mail, you have a church there. <laughs> You know, have you ever thought about sharing God with one another when you come in contact with one another? 
I've shared, back east we went to a church and people got together all the time and they talked about God's word all the time. You'd go down to the grocery store and three or four people would gather together and a Bible study would break out in the middle of the grocery store. Not a long one. <laughs> but people would be talking about what God had showed them in the word of God that morning or that the evening before or at the Bible study they had just gotten out of. Is God that important to you that when you are around other Christians, you're ready to share what God has shown you? How real is God to you? Jesus said that out of the abundance of our heart, we speak. How long can you go without speaking about God? Now, for some people, probably not long. Some people, they might be able to go weeks without talking about God. Out of the abundance of your heart, you will speak. And don't get too, too introspective about it, but think about it once in a while. What do you speak about most of the time? Am I speaking about my job, my business, my hobbies, my favorite sport? <laughs> or am I talking about God? And I'm not saying you always have to talk about God 24-7. <laughs> that would make you a very boring person to the world. Other Christians might not think you're so boring, but the world will think you're boring. But does God come up in your conversations frequently? I've shared with you when I was a restaurant manager, everybody in my, in my job, my, work, my restaurants, knew that I was a Christian. They knew that I went to church because I would do crazy things. Like I'd come in and go, you guys know what God did for me yesterday? And they'd all look at me like, okay, here we go. Another, another thing that he's attributing God to. <laughs> But you know what? When they needed some help spiritually, they knew where to come. They knew where to come because I brought God into conversations. I brought, sometimes I brought God's word into conversations and counseling without them knowing it was God's word because I didn't quote verses when I was giving them God's word. But God's word was brought up. How much is he part of who you are? How much is it when you gather together, are you sharing God with one another? You know, the greatest thing I like is when people go, you know what God did for me yesterday? I, I had this accident I just missed, or this happened, or God did this, or God blessed in this way. You know what I read in the Bible yesterday? You know, I have fun. I'm the pastor. I get to, teach, I get to tell you what God tells me in the Bible all the time, but you know, this is not new for me. You know, even before I was a pastor, I told everybody what I was learning from God's word all the time anyway. But you know, he wants us to be united in love. In love. To be able to love one another. Do you realize how hard it is to love people? <laughs> I hope you do. You know, it's really easy to love the nice people, the people who are kind to you. They're really easy to love. How about the black sheep in the family that is hard to love? <laughs> the one that always wants to stick their foot into to the problems and make life difficult for you. And God says, we're supposed to love them too. Because you know what? As far as God's concerned, we were the black sheep before we became his children. Every one of us was a black sheep in God's family. We were sinners that hated God and were in enmity with God. He hated us because of our sin. And yet he loved us because he created us and sent Jesus Christ to die for us so that we could become his children. And once we became his children, it was easier to love us because we're his. But that does not mean he didn't love the rest of the world. And I'm not having anybody raise their hand, but how many of you know somebody that's hard to love? 
Probably everybody in this room has somebody in their life that's hard to love. God's put them in your life so that you can learn to love. Some are very hard to love. Some can bring out the worst in you, especially if they're family. They know just the right buttons to push to get you irritated. But you know what? God says love them anyway. Will we fail? Absolutely, we'll fail. <laughs> and we'll have to go to God. God, I am so sorry. I repent. Help me to love this person. And you know what? When you finally get to love the person that you're thinking about that's hard to love, God will give you another harder person to love. <laughs> he wants us to keep growing. He doesn't want us to stop. You know, and I've said this a few times. You know, it's pretty difficult. Every time we pass a test, God gives us another test in that area that's harder. Why? Because he wants us to keep growing. We are never going to be to the place where we love everybody the way God loves in this lifetime. We are never going to forgive people the way God forgives for everybody. Because every time you forgive somebody, God's going to give you somebody harder to forgive. He's going to give you somebody harder to love. He's going to, have you, he's going to keep growing you in these areas. And the true mark of the Christian is that we keep making progress. Now, be happy that God doesn't give you a university-level doctorate uh, test when you're still a kindergartner. <laughs> now, when you're in kindergarten, he gives you a kindergarten test. And when you get higher up, he'll give you the harder test. But we are going to spend our life going through these tests, being drawn into unity, being more like him. And then he goes on to tell us, unto all riches of the full assurance and understanding and the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. This is kind of an interesting thing. Full assurance, complete, understanding, knowledge that exhibits by action. You know, how many of you have met people that they seem to be really smart people, but they can't apply any of the stuff they know? <coughs> you know they know how to do everything, but they can't actually do it. Uh, I, I've met people like that in my lifetime. They know everything about the topic that you're trying to teach them, and then they can't do a thing with it. I had a cook one time. He understood everything there was to know about cooking, but couldn't cook. <laughs> you know, could tell me everything I wanted, told me everything I needed to know, but could not do what needed to be done. We need to be careful that we're not one of those people. But God is saying he wants us to understand with perfect working out knowledge the mystery of God and the Father and, and, you know. And what is the mystery of God? This is kind of an interesting topic, the mystery of God. It's talked about a lot in the Bible. And it doesn't mean mystery like the detective trying to solve the whodunit. Okay. Mystery in this case means something hidden from people before. And we think about this. The way the Jews looked at the world, there were two groups of people. There were Jews and everybody else. <laughs> and everybody else were Gentiles. They did not know God, or at least not the God they knew. And they never could. All right? They did not accept they did not really try to get people to become Jews because they didn't want people to become Jews because they didn't believe that people wanted to become Jews. So there was God, the Jews, and the rest of the world. And the rest of the world was created to go to hell as far as they were concerned. That was their thought process. 
Paul is coming along and saying the mystery of God is the couple of different things. We're gonna we're gonna go through the Bible a little bit on this in First John five, verse six and seven. It tells us, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that bears witness because the spirit is truth. Now these, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. What is he telling us? One of the mysteries of God? The Trinity. Do we understand the Trinity? And I no. And when I've taught about the Trinity, and we're not teaching a long time about the Trinity today, I've started my phrase with one thing. We're going to go through all the verses that tell you about the Trinity, and you're not going to understand the Trinity any better if we get done than you did before we started. And you know what? We look at that and go, well, well, why then believe it? To me, it is the great comfort that there are things in the Bible that we cannot understand. Why? Because that means my God is greater than human thinking. Humans could not come up with a concept of three gods that are one. It makes no sense. And yet the Bible is very clear about it. We see Jesus being baptized. And we see Jesus being coming out of the water, the Holy Spirit descending upon him, and the Spirit, God the Father speaking from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We see the Trinity in action. We see the very beginning where it says, and God created the heavens and the earth. Now that may not mean much to you in English, but in, in Greek it says God's plural, and the God's plural is one God in the Hebrew language. The Hebrews have this concept of a multiple, more than one God who's one God, and they don't understand it. We have this mystery that's out there. You know, why did God create man in the first place? What a great mystery that is. You know, because, you know, Adam and Eve's sin did not surprise God. <laughs> when Adam and Eve sinned, God already knew that they were going to sin. He already had in place the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before God created man, before he created the world, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son got together and said, we're going to create man, they're going to sin, and Jesus, would you die to, so that we can redeem them? And the moment Jesus said yes, he was the lamb slain for the sin. Man's not even created yet. And Jesus is the lamb slain to redeem mankind. The mysteries of God. You know, and I've always wondered, why would God do it? I have no idea. I can't tell you an answer on that one. In 1 Timothy 3.16, it says... And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. What is the mystery of God? Jesus became flesh, dwelt among us, died, and Gentiles could be saved. Gentiles. Man, the Jews have a trouble with that idea. God wants to know the Gentiles. Jesus died for the Gentiles, not just for them. We are, he became flesh so that we could be his children as Gentiles. 
And you know what? I, for one, I'm a Gentile who's very glad that God did that. Because otherwise, we would be in a world where Gentiles did not get saved because the Jews never went out to see the Gentiles. It doesn't mean Gentiles never became a Jew. They proselytized every once in a while. But the Jews did not go out purposely to try to get people to follow God. And it's really a sad thing because God in, book, in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, told them that the Gentiles were able to come into the temple and worship God. And what did they do when they built the tabernacle in the temple? Especially the temple. There was a great big sign on the temple that says, no Gentiles past this point on penalty of death. All right? A Gentile could not go in and worship God, even though God said they could. That's how separate the Jews made themselves from everybody else. They go, no, you're, you're not going to. If you want to worship God, you've got to become a Jew. And God says, no, that's not what I wanted. Going back just a little bit in the, in the book of Colossians, we studied a couple weeks ago, verse, uh, chapter 1, 26 and 28. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a mystery. We have Christ in us. Dwelling in us. You know, if you think about that, that is a very powerful thought. An infinite God dwells in a finite body. <laughs> Only God can manage that. We have all the power of Christ living in us. I hope you've never said, or, or, but I know you've probably said it and heard somebody say it, I just cannot get over this sin. I cannot get victory over this. I cannot forgive. I cannot love. Whatever, whatever term you might have heard or used, you have Christ living in you. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we just start letting go of our life. My first favorite verse, Galatians 2.20, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. God wants to crucify our flesh. All I have to do is let go. Let him, let him crucify your flesh. And then watch him work through your life. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at what God can do when you let go of your emotions, your feelings, and let God do things. I encourage people to read the biographies we have in the back room about these great Christians. You know, most of these guys were just like you and me. Well, all of them, not most of them, all of them were just like us. Put into situations that they did not know how they were going to handle, what they were going to do, and they just stepped out in faith and watched God work. Looking at George Mueller, running these orphanages, needing, needing thousands of pounds every week, just to, uh, every month, just to pay for breakfast for these kids, and dinners for these kids, and, and utilities for these kids, and praying. You know, we've shared this story with you. I love that he's, he's ready for breakfast one morning. There's no food in the entire orphanage, and he's praying, God, thank you for the food we're about to eat. <laughs> okay. He doesn't even get the prayer done, and there's a knock on the door, and bread's being delivered for the children. Hasn't even got the bread into the building, and there's another knock on the door, and there's milk coming in for the children. 
How many of us would have had the faith to be able to just say, God, thank you for the food we're about to eat, and there's no food? Read a story about an individual named Eowold, and they, they, she was sent into a prison to quell a riot by herself with no weapons or anything. You know, why? Because the head of the country, she had told him the living God lived in her, and he decided she would have the power to be able to quell the riot and not have to face death. She tried to explain to him that she, that she could die just as easy, but he, he goes, no, you've got the living God in you. He seemed to have more faith than she did, and she went in, and God delivered her. We look at these different individuals, and we could keep going on, all the different biographies back there on how God uses people to do great things for him. They're no different than us. Do we quell when God asks us to do something? Do we step back and say, God, I just can't do this. <laughs> it's not in me. I can't do it. Well, you're right. You can't do it, but God in you can do anything. God in you can do anything, and he is in us. Ephesians 1.9 tells us that Christ wants to gather us all in him. Again, Gentiles becoming the body of Christ, becoming one. You know, other things that can happen, you know, the idea of forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. If God forgives us, we need to forgive others. Oh, and forgiveness is so hard to do, isn't it? Forgiveness isn't just saying the words, I forgive you. you know, it, may, it may make you feel a little better that you've said the words. But, you know, forgiveness is letting go of my desire for that person to be punished. How many of you have ever said, well, I forgive you, and you just can't wait for him to get punished? <laughs> you know, you're saying the right words. You're saying, I forgive you, but you haven't forgiven them. You go, well, yeah, I forgave them. No, if you're waiting for them to be punished, you haven't forgiven them. You haven't let go of it. And that's what, when God forgives us, he takes our sin, puts it under the blood of Christ, and you know what? He doesn't remember it anymore. You know, it's kind of an interesting thought. The God who knows everything <laughs> has made a decree out there that he's got a place that he puts our sin, and he says, I will not remember it when I put it here. Do you understand the power of that forgiveness? You know, how many of you have ever had an argument with a family member or a spouse and they remind you of everything you've ever done wrong that they're supposedly forgiven you of? <laughs> you know, uh, well, I have forgiven you, but five years ago you did this, and 10 years ago you did this, and, and 30 years ago you did this. Uh, you know, that's not forgiveness. <laughs> that person is not forgiven. We need to let go of our desire for punishment. That's what forgiveness is all about. The desire that I don't expect somebody to be punished for what they've done. I don't expect to make them look bad amongst other people. Have you ever told somebody about somebody they didn't know and told them all about how they mistreated you so they'd feel bad about the person they don't even know? <laughs> but you've forgiven that person. <laughs> you know, you've forgiven them, but you're making sure everybody knows how bad a person they are just in case they ever meet them. Just in case you ever meet this person that I'm talking about, you'll know how bad they really are. And we're laughing, but you know, we do this all the time. That's not forgiveness. We need to be very careful that we're forgiving one another. You know, and being able to look into this. The mystery of God 
that he dwells inside us and makes, him like, makes us like he is. The longer you walk with God, the more you should be becoming like him. Are you ever going to get as forgiving as God? No. But hopefully you learn to forgive. Minor offenses are a little easier to forgive, and many of us have had success forgiving minor offenses. But you know, our goal should be to be able to forgive all offenses. Because I'm going to tell you, it's a lot easier to live with that, with that forgiveness. How many of you know or have been bitter at somebody for decades because they did something to you a long time ago? You know, I've met lots of people that have problems with those. You know, this person did something to me, and I'm mad at them. Well, when did they do this? Well, about 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, what's really bad is usually when you finally get to a place where you want to ask for forgiveness, they don't even know that, they, that you were mad at them. You know, they did not even know they even hurt you in many cases. A lot of times we get mad at people, and, they, and we get mad at them, and they don't even know that they've done something wrong. How many times have you had been found that somebody's mad at you and you did not even know that you had done anything. Yeah. I know people who got mad because they got walked past in, in a grocery store without somebody saying hi to them. Well, they must really hate me. They don't, they don't even like me. They didn't even see you half the time. <laughs> they were busy shopping. <laughs> you know, they didn't even know you were there and you're mad at them because they didn't say hi. <laughs> Too many times we attribute motive to, to actions that aren't there. You know, in the scriptures where the 12 spies went out to spy out the promised land, they came back to Moses and said, 10 of them anyway, the land is a really good land, but there's giants in it. They didn't just stop at that report. They said, we look like grasshoppers in the eyes of the giants. Now, I've always wondered how many, in, how many giants they interviewed to get that attitude from them. <laughs> Probably none. But it was, we're really small. We think, we think we're grasshoppers, so that must be the way the giants see us. And because they see us that way, they'll just step on us. And we kind of laugh about that, but don't we do that quite frequently? They said this, but I know that what they really meant was, you know how many times I've heard that when I was doing, doing, doing discussions with people to try to solve problems? This is what they said, but this is what they meant. Well, how do you know that's what they meant? Well, I just know. You know, we need to be very careful about this because it makes it very hard to forgive somebody when you're assigning motive to what they say or what they do, especially when the motive is probably not correct. And you know how often, you, how you know that? Because you know how angry you get when somebody has assigned a motive to you that had nothing to do with it, and yet we do it all the time with people. The mystery of God. And then the last thing, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in who? In Christ. In Christ are hid all wisdom and all knowledge, and where is Christ? He indwells us if we're his children. If we're God's children, we're Christians, Christ dwells in us. He has all knowledge and all wisdom, so inside us dwells all knowledge and all wisdom if we will just tap into Christ and let our flesh get out of the way. Too many of us try to be strong in our flesh. I heard it said a couple weeks ago, the problem isn't that we are too strong, it is that we are not weak enough. God wants us to be weak so that he can crucify our flesh and he can live out of us. You know, in America, we have this wonderful statement that most people think is in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. 
That is not in the Bible. Matter of fact, that's exactly the opposite of what's in the Bible. God helps those who surrender to himself that can't help themselves, who allow their flesh to be crucified. If you want to walk around in your own strength trying to solve your own problems, God's going to say, have fun. Have fun falling flat on your face. Have fun being miserable. Have fun being wiped out in all your problems. You know, the great thing is when we turn around and say, God, I need your help. That is when we live the life that draws people to, to Christ. People will look at it and say, wow, you've got a smile on your face after all that stuff has gone through. You still have some joy in your heart when all that's going through. You can still forgive that person after all they've done to you. I'd be ready to kill them. And you're going, yeah, I would, I would in my own strength too. But God is letting me show forth him. And the God of the universe will draw people to him. Jesus it said that if Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Not if, if I as an individual get lifted up, but Jesus gets lifted up. His strength, his greatness will draw people to him. That's what's important in our life. The mystery of God is him living in us and living out of us as he crucifies our flesh. Total surrender to God. Most of us don't have total surrender to God. Probably don't even know what total surrender is. It's been said that, it was quoted by Moody, that God, the world is yet to see what a totally surrendered man could accomplish. Why? Because God is the one that would work through them. What can, I, what can be accomplished when, when you're surrendered to God? The sky's the limit. You know, we read these different stories about these guys that have done great things for God. They're just like us. They had God in them. They surrendered to God, and God used them. Do you want to be used by God in a great way? Surrender. And then watch what he's going to do for you. You go, well, I'm too old. Well, I don't know. We've got a lot of older people that have done great things for God. Well, I'm too young. There have been a lot of young people who've done things for God. You know, I don't have enough education. Well, there's a lot of people that weren't educated. Some of the prophets were just shepherds, never been trained. Others were well-educated and still had to forget some of what they learned and become used by God. What can, who can God use? Oh, God uses the most unusual people for his kingdom. We never know what God can do if you surrender to him because it's God who does it. The creator of the universe wants to use us. What a mystery that is. God, why would you want to use us? Frail human beings. You know, the angels probably look at God and say, God, why are you using those crazy clay things down there? You know, those clay pots filled with water and you're using them. And they keep making mistakes all the time. <laughs> and you're still using them. God's mercy uses us as frail individuals that make mistakes so that he can be exalted and draw the world to him. My question for us is first, do you know Jesus Christ? Especially for those listening on the, on, the, on the internet, do you know Jesus Christ? Is he truly living in you? Have you admitted that you're a sinner? God, I am a sinner. I've, I've, made, I've committed sins. All of us have sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. Jesus came to die for us. And if we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, and ask him to forgive us, he will. 
And then we repent, we turn away from our sin. That's the first step. For most of the people in this room, we need to look at the second step. Am I totally surrendered to God? Am I surrendered to God doing what he wants me to do? Too many times we get our own agendas. <laughs> you know, God, this is what I'm going to do today. Now, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, I want you to come and heal my daughter. She's dying. And on the way to Jairus' house, Jesus stops <laughs> to heal a woman who's been sick for 13 years. You know, I can just picture Jairus, you know, as the father. Uh, Jesus, what are you doing? My daughter's dying. Let's get, let's get, let's get this show on the road. You're supposed, to be, you're supposed to be with me. And Jesus is ministering to somebody who is sick. Gets to Jairus' house and the girl is dead. And Jesus resurrects her. Now, nothing was too hard for him. Do you realize that God still wants to work and do great things through us? If we will just let him do the work. God will heal people. God still does resurrections every once in a while. I've not had that opportunity to resurrect somebody. I've had opportunities to pray for people and they got healed. But you know, God wants to do great things. God wants to meet your needs. Just make sure they're needs. He wants to reach out. And my challenge for everybody in this room is, are you ready to surrender to God to be used the way he wants you to be used? As we close in prayer, we're going to close in prayer, but I want you to just think about this and ask God, if you really want to take that challenge and, and live a life of great adventure with God, ask him to help you surrender and to use you. Now let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for each person that's here, each person that's listening. Lord, if there's anybody that needs to know you as their Savior, first off, that they will accept you as their Savior, admit their sin. Lord, if there's anybody here that would love to take the challenge to just surrender to you completely, that they will just pray even today, Lord, I want you to live through me. Help me to have my flesh crucified and live the way you want me to live, lifting you up in all that I do. And I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.